are now listening to a very special message from Joy Community Church. Chapter 1, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, I can get you up to speed here just really quickly. Two weeks ago, Pastor James started us off, uh, and he shared about how the sounds of the faithful Israelite prayers, uh, a joyful message from this angel named Gabriel and the mercy of God, they filled the atmosphere as a 400-year silence uh, had broken through and the wait was finally over. So Pastor James shared on that two weeks ago. Go back and you can rewatch that if you're missing out. And then last week, Pastor Deborah spoke and she talked about Mary's song and Mary, uh, how she was this humble, very ordinary girl who boldly trusted in these covenant promises that God had shared with her. And she was worshiping while waiting for the coming Messiah, her son, Jesus, to be born. And we're gonna continue uh, on this today as we read in Zachariah's song in Luke's account here, chapter one, getting to the Christmas story ultimately next week. We're gonna read about the birth of both John the Baptist uh, as we continue uh, moving forward here, getting almost to the Christmas story, like I said, next week. So I just wanna take a second this morning, this season, I don't know about you, but it's been a crazy week for me, shopping and wish lists and being here just celebrating. But God has something for us this morning in the midst of the chaos and the fun and the excitement. So let's just take a second to quiet our hearts Join uh, with the Lord in prayer here this morning as we just seek him for what God has. I've been praying for us this week, and I think that there's some awesome truths. Uh, of course, these, these verses, these chapters are super familiar to us this time of season, but I think that God has some new truths and awesome things for us this morning as we read here in Luke chapter 1. Lord, we just thank you for this time together. You've ministered to our hearts in such awesome ways this morning, Lord, through song and worship and art and so many other ways. Uh, and God, we thank you for your word, and we know that's going to minister to our hearts this morning as well. And God, help us to see some new truths, new parts of who you are, Lord, so that as we leave here today, we know that we're transformed, transformed to be more like you, look more like you, act more like you, Jesus, because that's what we're after. We want to be your hands and feet, Lord. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me. It'll be Luke chapter 1, verse 57 is where we're going to kick off. We'll be there in just a second. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, but I want to ask you a hard question before you maybe find your spot in your text. First thing that comes to mind, you don't have to shout it out loud, but just think it to yourself. But if I were to ask you what your favorite Christmas memory is, think about that for just a second. Maybe it's a holiday party that you have every year uh, and you're just excited to host and have your family and friends around. Maybe it's making Christmas cookies with uh, your kids or your grandkids and that's a favorite memory that you get to share in and enjoy uh, every year. Or maybe it's something that I didn't list, but I'm sure each and every one of us, when we think about what our favorite Christmas memory is, maybe we've had it this year, maybe it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I don't know, you know. But when I think of my favorite Christmas memory or one of my favorite memories growing up, uh, it was from my childhood, and there's some pictures that we can put up on the screen to show you what I'm talking about, but uh, we were a big deal. My brothers and I, back in the day, we got to hang out with that guy, uh, and a couple of you just grabbed your coats like, oh my gosh, he's talking about Santa. This is, this is church. We're supposed to be talking about Jesus. Hang on. Give me just a second, okay? So growing up, uh, my brothers and I had the chance every year at Christmas time to join in with Santa. Growing up in Canandaigua, there was this parade every Thanksgiving weekend, and we would get to participate in that and kind of hang out on the float on Friday night go to the tree lighting ceremony, and that was a huge deal for us. If you can see that picture on the left, that's what it looked like to be a Bills fan before the Bills were really good. That's what, that's what it was all about. So if you're wondering what early 2000s Bills fans looked like, they were that guy right there. So that's before it was cool to be a Bills fan. And thankfully, I grew into my front teeth. That was a Christmas miracle years back, too, if you look closely. Maybe you can't see it all the way in the back. But anyway, this was a favorite Christmas memory from us uh, growing up. 
And when I was thinking about that this week and kind of relating it to, you know, why was it so impactful? Why was it such a, a cool memory to participate in Christmas and have Santa invite us in uh, each and every year? I think it was this, is that we felt included, we felt apart. And it wasn't that we were felt included or felt apart from a distance, but rather as Santa each year would maybe call our house and say, hey, we need you guys in the parade again this year. And he would invite us into the activities of the season, into his presence and into what he had planned that was a really cool thing, and I think that's why it was so memorable for me. And if you think of the Christmas story and think about what we've been reading uh, in these last few weeks, we find ourselves in what God is doing, and I think the same idea applies, but only it's perfected when you take the guy out of the red, the red suit, take him out of the picture, but substitute the Messiah Christ Jesus into that same analogy. You see, God breaks through the sound of silence using the words that the Gabriel, Gabriel the angel spoke, prayers of everybody who was praying around the temple courts there. The initial words of unbelief spoken by Zechariah, which we'll read today, landed him uh, mute and probably deaf. The exclamation of, of joy by Elizabeth and John the Baptist in her womb. Mary's song of praise that we read about last weekend, right? All these, all these different sounds. And today we're going to read Zechariah's song. But what, God, are you saying through these different sounds of Christmas as we hear so far in the Christmas story? And I think similar to the memory that I had that I just shared here from my childhood God is saying to us this, this morning. He's saying, I remember you. I care for you. I'm here to rescue you. I'm bringing you into my situation, into what I'm up to this season. I'm bringing heaven down to earth in the form of my son, Jesus, born in a manger, surrounded by animals and straw and strangers and unexpecting people, right? And he's telling us, I'm inviting you into what I'm doing. But not only that, I want to use you to prepare the way for me. And I want you to be my messengers. I think that, that same principle of how we felt loved uh, and why that's such a special memory from my childhood, that applies to us this morning because God's inviting us in to his Christmas story. I think we've seen that these last couple weeks, and I trust that we're going to see that again today. So turn with me to Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 57, and we'll read some verses here before we get into the meat and potatoes of Zechariah's song. We'll have the uh, scripture up on the screen if you don't have the copy of your Bible with you today, but it says this, it says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared in her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, is there no one among your relatives who has that name? Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So Elizabeth, right, she gives birth to her baby boy, and we're kind of given this impression that uh, the witnesses and people there were a little bit surprised by what was going on. Maybe her pregnancy had been concealed by her old age as she was in seclusion, and it wouldn't have been uh, maybe out of the ordinary for somebody advanced in years like her to not be seen for weeks at a time, right? So she comes in and has her baby, and people are surprised to hear that, but they're not just surprised, they're rejoicing. They're happy for her. They're filled with excitement because this is something that had been long awaited for her, much anticipated, much expected. And we learn that the baby gets circumcised on the eighth day, 
which is in accordance, as we know, to the covenant that uh, God established way back in Genesis 17. And I think this is so cool about God. I've been asked this a bunch before. Um, people, if, if you don't know, I, I work in medicine, and people ask me all the time, like, how can you be, how can you trust God? How can you be a, a church person or a man of faith, but also, like, be a medicine person and trust science at the same time? And this, to me, is so cool. You can share this at your maybe Christmas get-together or Christmas family and impress them later this week. But when uh, God's talking about the, the covenant of circumcision, right, on the eighth day, that's a surgery. That's a surgical type of procedure. And in the world of medicine, there's two main ingredients that kind of go into our blood clotting. If there was a recipe for how does our body do that, there's two main ingredients. One of them is vitamin K. Our body starts, starts to make that on about day number five, and on day number eight, that's where it needs to be. And then there's this other ingredient called prothrombin, and that starts to get made about day number two and kind of levels off around day 10. But in between day two and day 10, on day eight, it surges to about 110% of what our body naturally is able to produce. So this idea of God saying, you know, you have to get a circumcision on the eighth day if you're going to be marked by my people and you're going to be one with me, it applies not just to that type of uh, analogy, right, but to the rest of our lives. And he's saying, I know you, I made you. It might seem like rules for the sake of rules sake, but there's actually a reason to what I'm doing. And I think that's just such a cool thing. You know, we read that and we can miss something like that. But as we've maybe advanced in medicine, we forget, you know, this is the God that created us and made us and knows us. There's probably a reason that we're doing the things that we're doing. We can put our own spin on things and kind of pervert, of course, what God intended for things to be and, and, and pervert medicine and all those types of things. But at the very essence of it, something like that is so cool and shows how wonderfully and beautifully created that we are, right? So not just rules for rules sake. And Elizabeth goes on to suggest uh, to everybody there that, right, the baby's going to be named John. And people are kind of taken aback by this because naming uh, your children back in this day, as it still is to some extent today, this was a really family-oriented, family type of thing. Uh, and for her, everybody would have known that there's nobody, at least in her family lineage or immediate family, maybe named John. And everybody kind of has this, oh, isn't she cute moment, I think, as you read that. Like, oh, John, what are you, what are you talking about? That's not the right kind of suggestion. Let's, let's look to the father. And then they realize, wait, he can't talk and he can't hear us either. So it's kind of like this funny moment if you read it like that. But Zachariah, in the midst of his inability to speak and probably his inability to hear because he's, he's writing onto a tablet, right? We don't, have, we don't know that for certain, but it appears that he's not just mute, but he's likely deaf. He speaks boldly and confidently onto the tablet, and he says, his name is John. It's not his name might be John. It's not, hey, we could call him John. It's not, I like the name John, but he remembers what was prophesied over this baby, and he boldly and clearly speaks. He said, his name is John. And we see what happens, at least to Zechariah, right? When he steps in uh, and provides himself in an alignment with what God had said, the bondage over his tongue, the bondage likely over his ears, immediately broken. And his response after that is praise and blessing. Can you imagine being a witness to what had happened in that moment, right? Everybody knew what had gone on with Zechariah, obviously, because they handed him a tablet. They could see all that had happened in his last couple of weeks as his life was changed from uh, responding disobediently uh, and with doubt to what God had spoken to him. And it was clearly evident in that moment that God had been at work and things were moving and shaking in directions that people hadn't seen before. And what happened? The news of what had just occurred spread like wildfire, right? The neighbors had taken that word all over the hillside of Judea and all over uh, the rest of that area, and people were filled with wonder and, and amazement, realizing that this occurrence that happened in this baby, this new John, this son that Elizabeth had so miraculously given birth to, this baby was super clearly destined 
for something different and something completely unexpected and unique. So let's continue on in the story here. We'll pick it up in verse 67 as we begin Zechariah's song and to continue to see how he uh, continued to posture his heart in one of praise. It says here, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then he turns and he speaks to his child. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him and to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And it says, the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So this passage is called Zachariah's Song and as Pastor Deborah read Mary's song last week, that was called the Magnificat and we know that Zachariah's Song is also called the Benedictus and that translates, how do, we, how do we come to that and how do we derive that? Well, that translates from the Latin, from the first word of the song where it says praise or blessed. So people sometimes will refer to Zachariah's song, uh, not just as Zachariah's song, but as the Benedictus. And as we just read here uh, and know from last week, it's the second song uh, of this chapter, kind of the second song of praise. And as we read this, and I was reading this and kind of praying over this this week, it's so hard to imagine, right, that this is the same Zachariah who just a few verses ago in the same story, in the same book, was the one who was filled with doubt to the point where God said, you're done talking, you're done listening, just Sit back and relax and watch what I'm about to do, ye of little faith, right? So Zechariah uses all of this strong language, powerful imagery in the verses that we just read, ultimately to do what? To show us that the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies are currently underway, about to take place, and a new age is upon them. At least 16 Old Testament parallels, if we were to kind of sit down and comb through all that we just read there in those verses and compare them to the Old Testament. So not just one, not just two, but people standing there at that time, listening to him, right? The promises of the Old Testament, the waiting, the expectation, the anticipation for this Messiah and for God to speak after a 400-year period of silence, right? The words that Zechariah is singing, his song of praise in that moment, it's not just, oh, yeah, that's a nice thing. It's not just, oh, that's, you know, nice words and nice little connections to the Old Testament that he would be reading. But for these people, it is becoming abundantly clear and they're so excited. The anticipation for us reading this kind of on the back end is hard to put into perspective and hard to understand fully, but it's become abundantly clear to them that the promised time of salvation in this Messiah is almost here. It's kind of like this, you know, if you were listening there, I, as I was reading it this week, it's like, you know, what's, what's their reaction? It's like, yes, okay, that's good, yes. Finally, to the point where they're like, He's, this is it. They're, they're understanding that this is something that they haven't experienced before, and this is clearly God on the move in a new and exciting way. And if you're filling in your, your sheets and picked up sermon notes on the way in, we'll get to our first blank right here. If we were to summarize the first verses 
a praise that uh, Zachariah sings to God, fulfilling his promises and ultimately delivering the Messiah, we would summarize it by this. Zachariah praises God for delivering the long-awaited Messiah. That's pretty clear as we read the first eight verses there or so. And I think one of the uh, Old Testament parallels that I love so much and is so cool of the many that are there is in uh, verse 69 where it says, God has raised up a horn of salvation from the house of his servant David. This horn metaphor in the Old Testament uh, frequently comes up uh, as kind of this analogy for power and for strength and where the Israelites get this from, but it's from uh, like the horned animals, so to speak, if you can picture their strength and their power that they exude, and that's where they get that connection from there. Zechariah, he emphasizes this power uh, of salvation residing in the Messiah, which is actually a direct reference to Psalm 132, specifically verse 17, where that Psalm says, make a horn grow for David. Messiah here, ultimately, uh, to come and fulfill that Davidic covenant. So that's what Zechariah is uh, mentioning and kind of referencing there, this horn of salvation coming from the line of David that had been promised for not just decades and generations, but literally centuries. And there they are in that moment, speaking about how this Messiah is about to come through the line of David. And as I said a second ago, reading this again this week, and as we read it afresh this morning, looking to see you know, retrospectively, we're sitting here with kind of 2020 vision. We're able to Monday morning quarterback, especially this uh, passage of scripture, because this has already taken place. This has already happened. And for us, it's difficult to imagine, right? The emotion, the, the desperation, and ultimately the satisfaction that comes to these people of Israel as they're listening to these words and realizing this moment that we've been praying for, man, it's finally here. And God is about to fulfill everything that he's promised to us that we've been awaiting for, right? Not just decades, not just generations, but literally 400 years of silence, plus days in the Old Testament that people would have been clinging to and holding onto the promises of God, right? Uncertain faith, what is, you know, is this God, are you who you say you are? Can we trust you? Where have you gone, right? And I just wanna encourage us this morning that maybe it hasn't been 400 years for you, but you've been maybe waiting for a long time for God to uh, move in a certain situation or come through. There's been something on your heart. Maybe it's a, a family member. Maybe it's a health situation. I don't know what it is you do and the Lord does certainly. But whatever you're waiting for, whatever period of, of silence that you might be in this morning or this Christmas season, can I just say that God's faithful and he's gonna come through and he's gonna deliver. It might not look the way that you expected it to look. You might cut your tongue off and close your ears in the, in the waiting and in the doubt and that's okay, Right? But can I just say the Lord is faithful and he's gonna come through. It might not look like we expect it to. It might not sound like we expect it to. It might take 400 years for that promise to be delivered, but he's faithful and he's gonna come through and he's gonna deliver in our lives. I know that for certain. The second fill in the blank there, if you're keeping score at home here this morning, is this, we learn in the Benedictus that Zachariah celebrates and prophesies his son's role in preparing mankind for Jesus. That's the last section of verses there in the song that we just read. And what's so cool, there's a very clear shift in verse 76 as Zachariah is singing the song of praise. He kind of is directing his attention to God and he's praising him for all that he's done and the fulfillment of all of these promises of the Old Testament. And then in verse 76, things change completely. And Zachariah looks down at his son, his baby, John, who was just born, and he shifts his attention right to him. And he goes from praising the Lord and speaks this directly over his life. And he tells John the Baptist this. He says, you are going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Not just telling them about salvation as it being available, but this being in a, just a new moment for people to understand the mercy and a relationship that's available for them with God. 
And John the Baptist is about to fulfill the words that God spoke just a few uh, books ago in the Old Testament, if we remember. Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So here's John the Baptist literally fulfilling those promises and also in Malachi, right? Chapter 3, verse 1 and chapter 4, verse 5, where it says, I will send a messenger who will prepare the way before me. And obviously we know uh, if we continue that John the Baptist, right, serving as kind of this coming Elijah in this moment. And as Zechariah is singing these verses and singing this song of praise, people are listening in, in real time, not just, we said, knowing these Old Testament truths as, oh, those are nice ideas, but literally clinging to them with all of their faith, all of their might, all of their trust in the Lord, waiting on God to move in the situation. And as they hear these words, as they hear these promises spoken by Zechariah, their hearts are having that yes, 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 Lord moment as they realize that things are about to change in very, right in front of them in their very eyes. What's so cool, I think, as we, we look at this again, uh, salvation, right? The idea of being saved and uh, salvation in this text, in this scripture specifically, it's got two different references, I think, and two different flavors as we look at it and read it. In the previous verses, verse 71 and verse 72, we see that salvation is kind of referring to Israel as a nation, right? Not just being saved from their political enemies and uh, everything that goes on with that. They're being saved and set aside as a nation, ultimately to fulfill this oath that God has spoken to them uh, in Genesis 22, subduing kind of Abraham's descendants and enemies and posturing themselves in a way of obedience and blessing and all of these things, we're seeing that salvation in that context certainly is referencing the, the nation of Israel and what God has walked them through and what God has shown to them over the generations. But in verse 77, we see that salvation kind of takes on a different tone, a different definition, a different flavor, if you will. And this is the salvation that we have available to us. This is personal salvation. This is a blessing of salvation founded in the forgiveness of our sins. And we know just a couple of verses ahead, John the Baptist would preach on this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, right? John the Baptist going to prepare the way for this coming Messiah about salvation that's available to us, not through anything that we've done, not through anything that we can achieve or strive for or do in our lives, but this salvation that's available to us because of what Christ is about to do for us in the book, in the, in the verses ahead here, which is so cool. The last thing I want to look at this morning, and to me, this is kind of the, the cherry on top, like God, okay, let me just take a step back because you know better, you're cooler than I am. You, you, you know all of this, you wrote this, like this is all very clearly in your hands, but let's look at these verses one more time in a second with this idea of there's a literary term that's kind of hidden within the verses that we've read this morning, and it's called chiasm or chiasmus. It's C-H-I-A-S-M-U-S is the name of the device and basically, if you were to define what that means, it's a literary device where words and phrases are arranged in a reverse order, ultimately meeting in the middle, showing this type of parallel structure so that the reader's attention and the reader's focus is drawn to this middle point, which the writer is trying to emphasize. So it would be like ABA maybe, or ABCBA, right? Kind of building up to this central point, this central idea. And if we go back and read this, uh, these verses here in a second, I think we'll, we'll see this, but this is something that we see not just in writing or not just in these, these verses that we've read this morning, but this idea of chiasmus is something that people will incorporate into speeches and other types of writings. Uh, and two examples here that I think we have on the screen, one of them is probably familiar to us from history class, right? JFK, ask not what your country can do for you, 
but what you can do for your country, right? So he uses that middle word, you, to kind of turn around his idea and put the attention and the onus on the person. And another great philosopher, Snoop Dogg, he had this in one of his songs. He says, my mind on my money and my money on my mind. So we see that money, at least in his context there, is stressed in the middle. We won't sing the rest of that song because it's not certainly appropriate for this morning. Don't look it up afterwards if you want to, just make sure it's the clean version. But anyway... This idea of chiasmus, as we, as we read uh, keyism here and look at uh, these verses again, kind of through this lens, kind of through this idea, we'll see the attention and the focus that God wants us to have, not just, again, reading about these Old Testament promises, not just, again, reading how John the Baptist is going to be activated and used to spread the gospel and prepare the way for the Lord, but we'll see that there's a pretty neat stress and emphasis on these verses if we read them again. I'll read it to you here just one more time, and we've got them up on the, on the board, and the underlined words are kind of how we're going to build towards the center thought and the center idea here. So it says again, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Remember those two words there, covenant and oath. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us, heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And if you didn't notice it there, as I kind of stressed it, and we'll see here on the screen again, all of what Zechariah just saying, all of what he just prophesied, whether we look at it from top to bottom, whether we look at it from bottom to top, is building to this middle point, which is this as we see here. Two words, covenant and oath. So no matter how we read this, no matter where we start, we end up in the same place. God has strategically placed these words, covenant and oath, at the center of Zechariah's song to emphasize what? To emphasize that he's always been faithful to his oath and he is about to, in real time, establish a new covenant available to us, available for them in that moment. And this is the covenant of Christ Jesus. Amen? So cool. No matter how we look at it, right, our attention is drawn to the center to see those two words as God's literally fulfilling his promise. God uses this man named Zechariah, which if we were to break down his, his name, you know, what, what does that mean as it translated? It means God remembers. So he uses him and he uses his wife, Elizabeth, and if we did the same with her name, we would realize it means my God is an oath. So God uses this guy, which name means remembrance, and his wife, which means my God is an oath to do what? to share with people a song of praise and also bring their son, John the Baptist, this promised Elijah, this promised Messiah, preparing the way for him kind of guy into the world to ultimately show what? To point us to this new covenant that's about to be fulfilled and established. And what's so cool for, for people who are reading this and again, this real time kind of breaking news type of moment as people are hearing this happen before them, right before their very eyes, is the, these people, the, the Israelites, they're realizing that just with the fulfillment of what God's promised here, again, centered around his oath, centered around his covenant, this isn't the end. This isn't just 
what they've been waiting for. This isn't kind of the period at the end of, of the chapter and the book is over. It's the period at the end of the chapter and part two is just about to get started, which is so cool. This is a new opportunity for them to serve God in both the absence of fear and in the presence of his holiness and his righteousness. And just like John the Baptist, God is going to use the people of Israel, not just to prepare his kingdom, but to bring his kingdom to the rest of the world. Amen. So how can we summarize what we've read this morning in, in Zechariah's song and what we've read in this chapter, Luke chapter one, these last couple of weeks, if we were to kind of neatly package everything together and say, what's the one theme of, you know, what Pastor James spoke on and what Pastor Deborah spoke on this morning and, and what we've read uh, again here today, I think the theme is this. If somebody were to say, what's, what's the overarching kind of big idea of Luke chapter one? Maybe you can tell them this. You can say, God doesn't remember us from a distance, but rather he remembers us with his presence. This isn't just Old Testament promises that sound really cool and that would be really neat if all of these miracles fell into place at the right time and you know, actually were to happen, maybe some of them, but not all of them. No, this is God being faithful saying, I haven't just remembered you from a distance. I haven't just given you these truths to hold on to uh, when things get tough or when things are going well or when you think that you might need one of them, but not all of them. He's saying, no, I remember you with my presence. Heaven is coming to earth. Heaven has come to earth through the Messiah, Christ Jesus, to show that God has remembered us with his presence. And this entire chapter, if we think back from maybe the first visitation of, of Gabriel in the beginning to the songs of praise by Mary and, and Zechariah, God is saying this over and over again. He's saying, I have not forgotten you. I'm faithful to my covenant. I'm faithful to my word. I'm faithful to my oath. I'm not here to just love you from a distance and you know, have some social distancing between you and me, but I'm breaking through this period of silence. I'm sending heaven to invade earth through the birth of my son, this promised Messiah. I've remembered you with my presence. That's what he's saying to us this morning. That's what he said to them then, and it still holds true for us today. Let's pray together. Thank you for your attention this morning after an awesome time of just ministry and just celebrating the goodness of God and enjoying this Christmas season together this morning. Such an awesome chapter that we've read in these last couple of weeks, ultimately leading to the Christmas story, which we'll get to hear next week on Christmas Eve. As Sue alluded to this morning, this Christmas season for so many, I think it kind of magnifies what's there. If, if this has been a, a season of joy and, and glory and celebration, man, then, then Christmas kind of highlights that and, and brings it to the forefront. But for some people this season, maybe it's just this year or maybe it's most years can be difficult because somebody's not there or our health isn't what we want it to be or whatever it might be. And we can feel like, God, have, have you forgotten me? Are these just empty Old Testament promises that I've been waiting 400 years for that you're in the midst in, but I don't feel it in this moment? And if that sounds like what you're walking through this morning, if, if you're feeling like, man, I'm, I'm, God's remembering me from a distance this Christmas, can I just say that's not the case? 
I want to pray for us before we leave, but I also want to pray for people who, who might be feeling that this morning, who might have walked in thinking, God, you're, you're nothing but an Old Testament promise, at least this Christmas season in my heart. You've been, you've been at a distance, but can I tell you this? That he sent his son Jesus, not just for this Christmas season, not just for the times when we need it, but he sent his son Jesus so that we can have a relationship with him to know that he sent his presence for us. The sweetness of his Holy Spirit, the babe in the manger, ultimately born to die in the place of our sins. God's certainly saying to us this morning, I haven't remembered you from a distance. So God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for Luke chapter one that we've dove into and dissected these last couple of weeks. Lord, we thank you for the truths that are hidden within this chapter. God, we thank you that at the center of what we've just read this morning, and God, we pray at the center of our hearts as we leave here today, God, we know that you've been faithful to your covenant. You've been faithful to your oath. Help us to be faithful to you, Lord. God, these these tidings of good news and, and great joy that we sing about and we celebrate this Christmas season, Lord, we thank you that in the midst of the hustle and the bustle and all the holiday craziness that we can look to the right when you're standing on our left, as Pastor James said a couple weeks ago, Lord, that even though it seems like you may be at a distance, it's probably because of what we've done. And God, we thank you that in this Christmas season, especially, you show that you've remembered us with your very presence, your presence of your son, Christ Jesus. We thank you for that. Pray this in your precious and holy name, Lord. And everybody said, amen. Just a reminder that we will have our next gathering on Christmas Eve, not a week from today, but six days from today. 5 p.m., make sure you bring your friends and family and invite them uh, to our Christmas Eve service. It's gonna be really special. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Saturday at five o'clock. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at joycc.info.